we um, are talking about Jesus, and today's lesson piggybacks in a great way uh, off of the Bible class this morning and, uh, and some things that were established there. And I told somebody, it gets a little confusing when you start talking about things twice on the same day, but then I figure if I repeat myself, it's okay. Uh, even like Peter said at one point in time, I know you know this stuff, but it's good for me to remind you. And so if we repeat some things, uh, be patient, and we'll, we'll try to get on as we talk about our relationship with Jesus. Relationships have a lot of different levels, a lot of different facets to the relationships that we have. And the deeper the relationship, the more levels that relationship has. I mean, we all have like maybe a relationship with someone at work, and that's pretty much it. I mean, they're a coworker, you know, and that's, that's the level of my relationship is that. And Sometimes we can get closer to a coworker, you know, and you get deeper, and there's, there's different levels. And, and illustrate it like my relationship with my wife. Now, Phyllis and I have been married now 39 years, okay? So the longer and the deeper the relationship, the more levels there are. There are many different things in our relationship, many different things that characterize things about our relationship. I mean, she's my wife. She's the love of my life. She's my best friend, my partner. She's also the primary housekeeper, okay? She's also the, the primary grocery shopper, okay? You need to get paid. You do. And she, because she handles the finances, she handles that and does that and a part of our relationship. Now, here's the thing. What do we emphasize in our relationships the most? What's the most important? What do we talk about the most? What do we think about the most? If someone says, so how's your relationship with Phyllis? And I go, oh, she's awesome. She is the best grocery shopper you have ever seen. <laughs> and that's what she is to me. She is just the most unbelievable housekeeper. Now, now, that's part of our relationship. That's part of where we are. But hopefully that's not the primary part of that relationship. You understand what I'm saying? What do we think about, though? What do, how do we, how do we uh, uh, talk about things? Now, we think about Jesus. What part of our relationship? Because with Jesus, we've got a lot of different levels. Okay, now remember, we, we talked a little bit about this last week in the, in the Christian world, as it were. Uh, the different relationships with Jesus, first and foremost, you hear it talked about. Usually, you think about, well, what's talked about most? What's prayed about most? What's sung about most? You know, Ben and I were talking this past week. Uh, how many songs really talk about Jesus as Lord? There's not near as many as talk about my Savior, which is the number one, Jesus, Savior. That's my relationship with Jesus. Or we've talked about Jesus as my uh, genie in a bottle, right? And uh, talking about he, he, he does stuff for me. He blesses me. He takes care of my problems. And that's my relationship with Jesus. That's what he's, he's there for. And then others, uh, in, in one of my D groups this past week, you know, I was asking this question. Some people talked about Jesus as their teacher or their guide or... Uh, mentor or, or example to live and follow, and that's, that's a different thing. But today I want us to talk about Jesus, and I want us to talk about how do we see him, that relationship with him, and, and what do we think about most, what do we talk about most in that relationship with Jesus? Because the answer to that question, how I see him, just like my answer to how I see my wife, what is that most important aspect of that relationship? That's going to determine how I treat him. And it's also going to determine how he feels about me and how I treat him. 
So we talk about this and how do we look at Jesus? Now, all of those things about Jesus, the Savior, the genie, the friend, the help, the mentor, and Lord, all of those things are true. All of those things are right. None of them are, are untrue. But how does Jesus see his relationship with me? What does he see as the most important foundational block there on that relationship? What does he see in my relationship with him? We talked a little bit about this earlier in the Bible class. What is that, that gospel, the good news about Jesus? We talked about it many times, the plot of the gospel in much of Christianity. The plot of the gospel, the main character is me. Okay? There's me. I got a problem. It's sin. Because of that problem, I'm heading to hell. So here comes Jesus to fix my problem. And take away my sin, or at least give me the opportunity to not go to heaven, but change the road I'm on and go to hell. But what if the gospel presentation, as we asked before, did not start with me, I got a problem, but the gospel actually starts with Jesus and who he is. The word gospel comes from a Greek word, euangelion, means two different things, eua, uh, means good. And angelion, which is the same word we get angel from, it means a proclaimed message. It's a good message that is proclaimed out, out in public. It's not kept to yourself. It's a good message. So being saved from my sin, that, that seems to fit the bill, right? That's good news. That's not a bad thing. But I want us to look, and it's already up there on the screen, Romans 1. What does Paul say about what the gospel is? Let's read this passage. Romans chapter 1, as we strive to, to dig a little bit deeper into Jesus. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to this earthly life was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power. By his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through him, we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. Now, I want us to break this down. We're going to read this again. Now, the first couple of verses, Paul is just laying out what he's about to do. Okay, I'm Paul. I'm an apostle. I'm set apart by the, uh, for the gospel. What gospel? The gospel he promised beforehand. So that's what I'm about to do. I'm about to expound on the gospel. So he continues to read. Talks about this gospel regarding his son, who, who as to this early earthly life was a descendant of David, and who the spirit, through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now this is a strange, strange statement he says here. But the true thrust of Paul's line of thought here is that the resurrection served to trigger an exaltation of Jesus from the lowly stature of death to something he did not have before. Now, again, we talked earlier about this. Used to thinking about Jesus as being kind of like God, and then he empties himself from being like God. And then he dies and he's raised again. Then he gets his job back, right? He gets to go back and go back to being back a God again. But what we see here is actually what it seems like is he was somehow with God and he came and lived and died and was raised again. And then God says, we're putting you up a notch or two. 
We're taking you up even higher to where he was before. Previously, he was the son of God. Now he's called the son of God in power. It's a phrase that's not used before. He's declared like you're given this role now. You're given this authority. You're given this position. He said you're now the son of God in power. And he says in other places uh, that we'll look at later, like in 1 Corinthians 15, you're going to rule until your enemies are made your footstool. You say, well, didn't he rule before? Evidently, there's something different going on here. Something even more so. The Son of God in power. Not, as some translations put it, the Son of God with power, but in power. You're the Son of God bigger and better and more powerful or more authority than you had before. You know, my wife and I were talking about this a week or so ago, and I don't know if, 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 if how the conversation was going, you, you know, but I was saying, somehow, you know, Jesus wasn't, he had emptied himself when he became man. I said, yeah, but he had all those, you know, what we call sometimes the magic Jesus, the Jesus that could do stuff, walk on water and, and heal folks and, and raise dead. Doesn't that mean he's God? And then not necessarily. A lot of the apostles did the same things. Okay, they didn't walk on water. They certainly healed people all over the place. And two of them, Peter and Paul, did the biggies. They, they rose the people from the dead. So others were able to do it. Jesus had emptied himself of all of that. And then somehow, God, through his power and through the Spirit, raises him up and says, Now you are declared my son. Not just the son of God, but the son of God in power. Similar thing we see in that, that verse I was talking about, Philippians 2. Go ahead and turn there. We'll see this. We see a very similar elevation in Philippians 2, verse 6. Many of us are not used to thinking about Jesus like this. But I think it's a key to our relationship with him that I want to help build into our foundation. When I think of Jesus, what's the first thing I think of? Who being in very nature God, I'm in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 6, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. That phrase, used to his own advantage, means something to be grabbed onto or seized or hung onto. It's even robbed, like he stole it from God. He says he didn't consider it to be something like that. He rather, he made himself nothing. And that term means deprived of force, rendered useless and of no effect. He emptied himself, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. Metaphorically speaking, is it to the higher, highest rank of power, supreme majesty, God elevates Jesus to this point. And he gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Now, I, part of me thinks that this, this is new to me, to be honest with you, because I'm thinking, I've always thinking about Jesus. That didn't happen until after the death, burial, and resurrection 
that God elevates him to this new role, this new position of authority. God exalts him to the most highest place. You are now Lord of all. Everybody's going to acknowledge it at some place, sometime. Every tongue is going to confess this. Notice, not every tongue is going to confess and acknowledge you're the son of God. They're not going to acknowledge Jesus is my savior. They're not going to acknowledge Jesus is my friend. Jesus is my comforter. They're going to acknowledge he is Lord, which means master, controller of all. He says, everyone. And this is not something that I accept or not accept. It is. Okay, now I can accept it in the sense of I'm going to surrender to it. But his lordship has nothing to do with my acceptance. God, in his power and authority, said he is Lord. And whether you want to now or you want to later, but at some point in time, everybody that's ever lived, every ruler, every the most important person to the most humble person on the planet, all the demons, everybody's going to say, Yep, he's Lord. He is the one who has supreme authority over absolutely everything. He didn't say every tongue's going to submit to Jesus. Okay? But at some point, everyone's going to admit, yep, he's Lord. And it seems to me that Jesus being elevated to that position, that is the good news. That is the gospel. That this Jesus who loved me and died for me, he was appointed Lord and supreme authority over everything. And the forgiveness of sins comes because it only happens when someone who has that authority. Lordship comes first. Without Jesus being Lord, he could not offer himself as that sacrifice. He doesn't have that authority. He wasn't automatically Lord. He was appointed Lord after his death, burial, and resurrection. Now, I know some people called him Lord. They called everybody Lord that was a boss back in those days. Okay? That was a term of respect. This is a different Lord term. When, ju- when God appoints you Lord, that's a different term. That's a different thing. Without surrendering to Jesus as Lord, there is no forgiveness of sin. I can't have him as my savior if I don't have him as my Lord. Now remember, last week we talked about the chief cornerstone, right? And it was part of one of the passages that we read in Matthew 21, verse 44. Jesus himself talking about himself and being the cornerstone and all of that sort. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. And what he's saying is it's better to break and humble yourself right now on Jesus And surrender to that lordship than it is to wait until the end when I'm crushed by his lordship. That word crushed, it's the same word that's used in milling grain. When it takes grain and grinds it up into powder and then the wind blows the chaff away and stuff. That's that's the image of crushed there. And Jesus is saying, no, if you fall on me and, and, and are broken before me. That's a whole lot better than at the end being one of those that go, holy smoke, I guess he really was Lord. 
I guess he really is Lord. How did I miss that one? It's a position. It's a title. It's a rank. It's not Jesus' name. Okay, just like Christ is not Jesus' name. I, I, I kind of it gets confusing sometimes. Jesus is his name, right? He was probably called Jesus uh, Bar Joseph, son of Joseph. Probably what he was called. Christ is one of his roles. It means Messiah. And then Lord is his title and his authority, the master. Jesus Christ, our Lord. And it's all or nothing, right? It's all or nothing. He is Lord. Guys, do we understand what that means? We should show respect, honor, and reverence to Jesus, our Lord. We had an interesting conversation in our D group this past week about showing respect to God, showing respect to Jesus. Like, for instance, in our prayer lives, and I'm not saying this is sinful or whatever. I'm saying it makes me feel uncomfortable if someone comes up to lead us in a prayer and goes, hey, God, how you doing today? I'm going, you're talking to God here. You're talking to the creator of the universe. You're talking to the Lord of all. Is there a sense of respect? Is there a sense of honor due? Now, yes, there's a, an intimacy and a friendship. But still, as we share it, I go, you know, whether you like President Trump or not, whether you're a Trump fan or not, whether you're a Republican, a Democrat, a Green Party, independent, whatever, I always refer to President Trump as President Trump because he's the president. And if he walked in, I wouldn't go, yo, Donald, what's up? I, I, I wouldn't do that. He's the president. You treat it with a certain respect. And sometimes I think, are we too cavalier with our Lord? We forget what Lord means because we treat it as so common, so casual. It's something to think about. And I'm not saying just because someone talks in King James Version, they're all of a sudden reverent. That doesn't necessarily mean it. I'm just saying, do we think he is Lord? He's supreme authority. I treat him with respect. And I do everything I can to obey him. Because he's Lord. Everything in my life is focused on pleasing my Lord. There's no, I can't do that. that, that that's not for me. No, he's Lord. Whatever he says, I need to figure out how to make that for me. He's Lord of my marriage. Even if I'm not happy in my marriage, he's Lord of my marriage. Amen. See, sometimes we say, well, he's Lord of my marriage, but I'm not happy. I need to find somebody I can be happy with. But then he's not Lord of my marriage yet. He's Lord of my happiness, maybe, as long as I'm happy. He's Lord of my family, even if my family is going through troubles. He's Lord of my family. He's Lord of my life, even though it's not going the way I want it to go. He is still Lord. He's not just Lord as long as everything's going great and he's blessing me the way he's supposed to bless me and giving me everything I want and I'm happy and satisfied and fulfilled. Now I'll let you be Lord. That's not how it goes. How do we see him? He's Lord. And this is not an optional thing. Okay, this is not an optional thing. He is Lord. What I do with it, that's optional. How you and I respond to that, that's what determines everything. 
When we talk about Jesus being the chief cornerstone and letting that cornerstone direct your life, that's not an optional thing. That's not a, well, this would be a good idea. If you really want to grow as a Christian, you should do it this way. It's what we do with Jesus. If I want him to be my Messiah, my Savior, then I've got to let him be my Lord. Because that is first and foremost, God appointed him Lord. And because of that, he can be the Savior. Because of that, there can be forgiveness of sins through him. Now, I know some of us are saying, wait, 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 well, hold on. I've always been taught that all i got to do is believe, okay? Have faith. Accept him as my Savior, and I'm all set. My ticket is punched. Anything that has to do with works or anything like that, that's a bad thing. should be avoided at all costs. I can't do anything to earn my salvation, well, then I don't need to do anything, but I just need to believe. Well, that is a very incomplete view of the gospel. There's parts of it that have truth in it, but it's an incredibly incomplete view. And we're going to deal with that in part two of this lesson, which happens next Sunday. Very, very clearly, we're going to talk of what does that actually mean to say, I have faith in him. I believe in him. What does that phrase actually mean? But right now, we need to get, before we even get to that, we need to say, is Jesus really Lord of my life? Do I think of him as Lord? Is that the foundation of my relationship with him? Is that the first step, or is that the second, third, or fourth step in Jesus? Would Jesus say to me, as he did to those in Luke chapter 6, why do you call me Lord, but you don't do what I say? You're calling me that. Why would you do that? Understand, the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue is going to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Will you be the one that says, hey, that's okay. Because you know what? I've been calling Jesus Lord for years. I've been doing it for you. You know what? Not only have I been calling him my Lord, he's been my Lord. I've been living like it for years. So if at the end of the day, everybody's going to acknowledge it's going to be nothing new for me because I've been doing it my whole life. I pray that that's the count for us. I pray that that's what we think about, that we make that decision. Yeah, Jesus is going to be Lord. He is Lord. Embrace him as Lord. Now, what we're going to do now to end this lesson is we're going to sing that song together. Okay? We're going to sing Jesus is Lord. Now, even in this song, it talks about he's my Savior, my Redeemer, and all of that's true. But I love the way it starts out because he is all of those things. But it starts out saying, no, Jesus is Lord. My Lord, and I want you to think about those words, and I want you to sing them if you're ready to say it. If you're not, then that's what shows you. I, I got some thinking to do. I got some thinking, because if I want to build on that foundation, it's got to be Jesus being my Lord. So we're going to sing this song together, and hopefully using the words of this song to help bring into our lives the message of this uh, of this word